Welcome back to the Comeback Podcast. As usual, I am your host, Connor, and today my guest is Sage Jarrett. Sage is initially from California, is a musician in Pham Ranh, Vietnam, where he's also a teacher, having previously spent time in Cambodia with his partner, Claudia, who was also featured on the Comeback Podcast. Shout out to Claudia. We're going to discuss expat life, music, and a little bit more today. I'm looking forward to this chat. Sage, welcome. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure, man. And just to get a brief overview, I asked to every guest, can you tell me about life growing up in California? What was that like? Oh, amazing. Cal I mean, I'm from Northern California, so I have, I'm from the San Joaquin Valley. So I have like mountains on both sides of me where my mom's house, my grandmother's house and um, by Sacramento. So I've got the Sierra Nevada mountains, which gets snow by Lake Tahoe. And then I've got some other smaller mountains to the West and past that is San Francisco, Napa Valley, which Napa Valley is like all the, the vineyards and you have the Bay area, which is in its own right, pretty international. And at least San Francisco is, it's very beautiful. And growing up in California was amazing. Riding BMX bikes as a little kid with a slingshot, whatever, digging, climbing trees, doing whatever little boys do, getting yeah. in trouble, getting out of trouble. Yeah. But just in, in California itself, it's a really beautiful place. And as far as climate and weather, it's like the winters are a lot colder than they are here in Vietnam. Like the rain's cold. And it didn't snow, but it was pretty cold. And, but in the summers, it's really hot, hotter than here. Yep. So, and did you have always an ambition to travel? I guess, obviously now you're living abroad and have done for a few years. When did you initially pick up that travel bug and want to move away from Cali? Oh, I've always wanted to travel, but it wasn't really on my radar growing up. It just. I hadn't gotten a passport or anything like that. The first time I got a passport was when I traveled to go play in Kuala Lumpur with a band. They got me a passport, but I've always traveled within California, taking the train and I would leave my home and go live in different cities. So I was doing micro traveling, <laughs> but as far as international traveling, that didn't really happen until it happened, but just manifested itself. And we went and played 1999, 2000, New Year, Kuala Lumpur. I'd gotten picked up by a live electronic group in 1998. And we were like, I was the first live guitar player to play at raves in California in the late nineties. And we played Burning Man a bunch of times. So I was playing like techno and I was playing live guitar with them. I got put on vinyl by some DJs who with some record labels and stuff like that. And, uh, and what happened was, is we, the people who had picked me up, they found me in Northern California, Santa Cruz, and I had a farmer's market and I have a uh, tattoo of Jimi Hendrix on my arm. And the guy said he had a dream about Jimi Hendrix the night before. And boom, all of a sudden I was playing the raves I was going to before I was going to, I love tech, electronic music and stuff like that. So next thing I was playing with this band and. The, they got me a passport and we had a big show in Kuala Lumpur and that's how I started traveling. That sounds unreal, man. How old were you at this point? About 20, I don't know, 25, 
Okay, cool. So not nice at that point. And also that's quite a interesting mix that like you mentioned electronic music, but also the Jimi Hendrix tattoo. Have you always had yeah. a variety of influences? As, as far as musically? Yes. Oh, influences. It's whoever turned me on, like I'd hear some elect, uh, growing up hip hop, run DMC, boogie down production, public enemy. A lot of that growing up skateboarding for years, you know, started playing guitar and got into like most things, guitar. I've always loved blues. So I'd listen to blues men and stuff like that. But when I found Jimi Hendrix, it really, he really turned a corner for me as far as what, how my ears heard things and what I thought a guitar could do and the opening up my perspective dream realm of what I thought was possible. Yeah. Yeah, sure. And in terms of the electronic side of things, were there any oh. main DJs or influences that really appealed to you in that realm? Like early days, Mark Fiorina. I used to, we used to play shows with Mark Fiorina. Wicked Records, shout out to Garth. Uh, he's a DJ from Greyhound Records. They were the first people to put me on vinyl. It's a record called Serpent Fire. That was the first time I was ever put on vinyl. And definitely I knew Bass Nectar long before he was ever famous or anything like that. He was pretty cool. Like as far as really big people, I, I like there's a guy named Carl Craig, who's a, who's an older DJ. Who's really dope. You got Carl Cox, of course, Portis head, any of the groups that did live stuff with the music. I really dig off the top though. It's, it's there's so many, there's a Swedish house mafia. That's some later stuff, but earlier stuff was really just the underground scene in, in San Francisco. We had a really poppin underground electronic music scene. We had a DJ called brother. He was out for a while. It was the, uh, full moon. Basically we would, they would put on raves and at, whenever there's a full moon, we would meet at a designated location out in the forest and stuff like that, or at the beach. Yeah. Chemical brothers, when they first came out, I'm just trying to go back in the catalogs of my brain so far. Yeah. And think of all the importance. Have you got a favorite live performance that you've seen? Was the one gig you went to where you were just blown away? Or again, oh, so many to par Parliament Funkadelic. Nice. You ever heard of P, P Funk? I haven't actually. No, I can't say I have. Yeah, P Funk. They're 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 like a rock group, but they're just unreal live. And the Roots were really good live. The Roots really put on a good show. But Parliament Funkadelic, I think I, I had the highest experience there, and. um as far as electronic music, it really just, it was like the spirit of electronic music would be channeled by a certain person at, at a different event or something like that. It wasn't necessarily one thing is it was the art of it, the art of mixing, not like mixing, not like mixing CDs, but turntables and bringing in something on top of another thing and seamlessly and this kind of things, people with really good taste timing, stuff like that. Innovative thought. That's what I really love about electronic music is you can, it's fused itself into modern music. Yeah. Big setup. Yeah. yeah. And can I also ask then 
How would you describe your current music? My current music is like a journey of everything I've experienced. Some things I'm, I don't think I'm technically good enough to be able to do. But as far as creativity and stuff like that, I'm, I'm just, I'm painting. I've got Claudia, she's out there painting in her art studio and I'm in here painting with sound. So it's, I find it to be, it all depends on, I have so much stuff that you haven't heard before that's, that's different. And this version that you've got to hear is, is first of all, I've got to get a shout out to Clyde Stubblefield because I got a sound pack of him. He's passed on and he's the most sampled drummer in history. All hip hop or anything you've heard probably has a sampled drum beat from him that he never got paid royalties for. He was one of the first James Brown drummers. He's the original funky drummer. And so recently. I, I got a sound pack of his and his drums inspire me so much that I just, I, it was so easy to write and to be creative with, with his spirit coming through the speakers and, uh, all that stuff you heard is with his uh, drum beats. And I just built some stuff on top of it that I was feeling and excited about when I was doing it. And so this version that you heard is, is some more funk rock electronic with some 808s. And I'm really into Jimmy. So any kind of like psychedelic guitar, bluesy, backwards guitar, it's a fusion. It's just, it's colors and rhythms. Yeah, absolutely, man. And what sort of things inspire your writing or your, the music that you produce? Where do you, where do you get your musical inspiration from? Everywhere. I wouldn't say one thing in general. I was just watching an interview with Sting that just came out, this guy, uh, What's his name? Ah, he's, he has an amazing channel and his name is Rick Beto and he has a YouTube channel and, but he just did an interview with Sting and I'm not even a big, I love the police, but I've never really bought any Sting albums, but listening to this interview and how Sting creates music and it's just so masterful. So I, I pick up stuff anywhere. It doesn't even have to be a musician. It could be the a way an artist is painting, how they approach their craft or anybody who's approaching their craft in such a manner that it's very clear what they've obtained and how their application, you know, of that obtained quality. If I can get a a touch of it or taste a little bit of that, then I'll take that and apply it to, to my, my formula. And it's so broad. It's I can hear music from Africa or any music. If it touches me, then I take that. I take that to the table. Even Vietnamese music. If I find a, a couple notes in Vietnamese music, I'm like, oh, I really dig that. Then, then I'll leave. That'll somehow permeate its way or in, or not, or through osmosis, it'll get into what I'm doing. <clears throat> so there's no really one particular thing. It's art in general, anything that turns me on, that makes me turn my head or go, or stop whatever I'm doing and, and listen or pay attention to. That's where I get my inspiration from mainly. And is the one, say, song or album in particular that has really helped you throughout your whole musical journey? Is there one or two albums that you think, wow, this is essential to who I am as an artist? Oh man, that's hard to say. Of course, Jimi Hendrix, the whole catalog of his and his development 
and how short of a time that he created all that art. He just was recording for three or four years and he did all that and played live. But Electric Ladyland, because it's such a journey, but I love the Beatles too. <clears throat> it really depends on what I'm going through and what I need as a, what I need to tap into to maybe heal myself or be, be guided. You know, if say I'm like a boat on the ocean and there's some waves hitting the boat and I'm looking ahead and I'm seeing big waves, there's something that'll guide me through and, and keep my head to the stars, paying attention to where I'm going, not what's exactly coming my way. Seeing further, Jimi Hendrix, Miles Davis, all the blues men, there's, I can't really put it on one thing so much as it is so many things. You understand what I'm saying? I do understand me. Yeah. And but I love Electric Ladyland. Right. And it's one, one of my favorite uh, songs is Machine Gun, which is live at Fillmore East. It's a uh, band of gypsies and, and it really just talks about war and how every, it's just the song that people were allowed to sing back then when music wasn't so commercialized and controlled. They were, they could protest things with music. There was a freedom to it. Now you can't do that if you want to, if you want to uh, come out the speakers of mainstream, you have to fit into a box. Yeah, for sure. And let's move slightly away from the music. You mentioned just before we started recording that you also lived in Cambodia for a year. Can you tell me about that experience? Because I've never been, but it's definitely on my radar. Cambodia was really cool. We were in Phnom Penh for about seven months teaching there. That was interesting. The traffic was riding to school every day was like a video game in a way, just because it was just so crazy. And the people are beautiful. We met a lot of really kind people and really generous. And teaching the kids there was awesome. Keeping them in the classroom. We taught at this one school and they had the playground and and to see them go from the classroom to the playground where they knew they were free for a while and they got to play was really exciting to see. Just teaching little kids in general is really enjoyable. Yeah, sure. And did you have any but, teaching background in California or was it completely new to you? No, I, I kind of gained my, I've taught guitar to kids before and stuff like that. But as far as teaching English, no, I, that all happened in Europe where I started native speaking and and figuring out that was a possibility in, in the United States, you're not English is common. So it's not valued. Yeah. Big time. Bars. Yeah. But at least you got some experience with the guitar. So you were able to transfer a different type of knowledge in terms of your skills onto young people, which might have helped you coming and teaching in Europe and Asia. Oh, ab absolutely. Because it's. Teaching guitar is difficult for the student. It's not like a video game. It's, you really have to work and you really have to stick with it. So if you can help inspire a mind, whether it's young or even middle age or whatever, and they stick with it and you make a connection, it's all about connecting, make a connection with them and watch them grow as a player. It's the same thing as making a connection with, with a student, teaching them English or just put putting that connection in the forefront of the experience so that the student feels welcome and, and feels safe, to be honest, so they can really try yeah, for sure. to do their best. Yeah. And if they were 
perhaps I can imagine the process of learning guitar at a young age and not getting anywhere, like a lot of other skills, is quite frustrating. What sort of tips would you give to break that initial barrier of frustration and keep going with it? What would you suggest? There's a couple little secrets. There's these things called open tunings. You ever heard of an open tuning? Haven't, no. Can you explain? Okay. It's where you take the guitar and you tune it to a chord. So basically, all you have to do is hit the guitar and it's already in harmony. So then the ear, because you're training the ear too at the same time. So then the ear is hearing, it's already hearing harmony. And basically all the student has to do, this is just for pure creativity because also it's not just technicality and the right, the left side of the brain that you're trying to teach. You're also trying to, you're trying to install that creative spark, that initial feeling of what, why they want to play and when they hear the music that they want to create and how they're connected to it. You can tune the guitar to a chord and give it to the student and they can just go up and down a string. And what that does is it creates a tension and release. They'll find a note that sounds really good with the chord because it's in harmony with the chord. Then the next note might be a, a dissonant note, but when they go back to a harmonious note, they get to feel that feeling of movement as to where maybe they're not able to do that yet with all their fingers and make chords. So there's little different ways to make it fun. And of course, there's always going to be hard work, but if you can get a little spark of fun that gives you a little gas to keep going, when you're looking at the mountains and they're so far away, you need some gas in the, in the vehicle that helps. Yeah, for sure. And let's then talk about, we've talked about Cambodia briefly. Let's talk about Vietnam. So how can you move to Vietnam? And I did discuss this with Claudia, but I'm curious on your reasons. Why did you choose Pham Ranh, I believe that's how you say it, in comparison to say Hanoi or Ho Chi Minh or a huge city? Why did you choose Pham Ranh specifically? Pham Ranh chose us. We were doing interviews. We were doing interviews for different places and the communication level was really low as far as translators. And, and so the experience of our interviews was at a certain level. And then when we interviewed for here, it was an Australian our boss is Australian, him and his wife were in the, and he lived in California. So we just immediately, when I was talking with him, our, the communication level was normal as to where all the other communication levels with the school was just, it was unsure because it wasn't, it wasn't like how you and I are communicating right now. It was yes. far different. I don't want, I'm not going to say it's bad or whatever, but as soon as the communication was happening between me and our boss or our boss and I, it was automatic. And then also we, we met on Maui, we met on the beach in tropical. As soon as we knew that it was by the beach, it didn't matter really how big the city was, the smaller, the better, because you can get really caught up doing a bunch of stuff. If you're an artist and it's great to be in a big city and stuff, but if you're trying to master something, the more solitude you have, the more time you're going to have to master your craft. And for Claudia right now, she's in her, she's 33 and she's kicking, excuse me, she's kicking butt and I'm 48. I just turned 48. So knowing I've already had my chance to really master my craft and to know that this is her chance right now. I, it was 
just the universe that put us here, to be honest with you. And part of that happening was our boss being from Australia. He lived in California, lived in some of the same place. In fact, he saw me play at a show one time. We didn't figure that out till a couple of years later. So it was just all synchronicity, to be honest with you. Yeah. And it's when you look back, you can connect the dots. I think, wow, this did happen for a reason. It's not a pattern. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. You got it. Yeah. Massively, man. And we've talking a bit off air about Famran. Can you talk to me a bit more about it? You mentioned you're one of the few, if only Westerners, it's people coming bits at a time from Europe. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Right now, especially because we're dealing with the pandemic, you've got the kite surfers out there and they show up right about now. They show up from November, late October, November, all the way through, through the winter. And so they're out there, the North, probably about 15 kilometers from here. And there's a bunch of kite schools. And then you've got the people who are, we've probably had about 40 windmills put up in the last two years in South and North, like as, as far as the wind farms we've had. So I don't know if they're finished, but I've seen a lot of them and the solar people. So we would see them at the, at the supermarket whenever we're shopping and we'd see a bunch of them that come in and get their uh, weekly or whatever goods they needed. We'd see them there. And then there's a pizza place that's here in town called Le, Le Napoli. And that place is awesome. If you ever come through, anybody ever comes through Fan Rang, make sure you go to Le Napoli Pizza Place. It's owned by some awesome people. <clears throat> and uh, so we'd see them there. But otherwise, as far as other places in the city, no one's hanging out anywhere. Maybe a coffee shop like Mono or something like that. But being here in Fan Rang, in itself, the spirit, the core of Fan Rang, like you said, it's a gem because we're surrounded by mountains and to the south are sand dunes. And so this is actually the driest place in Vietnam. It's not as humid here. It's still humid, but it's not humid like Ho Chi Minh City or it's because the wind is so powerful here. It blows all the humidity away. And um, we don't get as much rain as other places. And it's just beautiful. We live really close to a river. It's the one that runs out into the bay, as I mentioned before. And when you go out to the river, you look, they're not big mountains, but they're still mountains and we're surrounded by them. And so we're cupped in, we're like in a little <clears throat> area and we're really close to Dalat. Dalat's only about a two hour motorcycle ride. And the train is the same. So we're in a prime location as far as if we want to go somewhere and do something, get out of the city. But as far as, man, it's real Vietnamese. It's a real Vietnam experience. And it teaches you, it's like going into the city and being able to communicate and get what you need. And without people speaking English, you learn other skills on how to communicate with people. And, and what I love mainly is even though our, my culture is different with other folks, other people, we can still find a way to smile and to laugh. That's like what I try to do. I always try to make people smile and here people are willing to smile. I love that. So Fan Rang is a wonderful place. Uh, big time, man. Can you talk to me a bit more about 
the Vietnamese culture and the Vietnamese people, because everyone I bring on here, I often ask their favorite part of Vietnam and they say often the people, and I have similar views because I think they are so hardworking, resilient, and quite frankly, lovely. What are your views on the Vietnamese people and how oh. welcomed you here? Very hardworking and very obviously resilient. I, I just appreciate, <clears throat> I appreciate spending time with the friends I've made here. I love to play pool. I'm a nine ball player. So I've learned how to play a uh, three ball Kiram, which they play a lot of. And I play a lot of table tennis. I'm in a table tennis club. I'll go, I'm the only Westerner. I'll go play with uh, my club. And as far as we don't have a lot of friends, I have the, the friends I have with the table tennis club <clears throat> and some who I play music with, but not that many because we're, we're really here a lot at home. But any, most interactions, I wouldn't say all, but most of the interactions are amazing. People are so kind. I find that around the world, people are kind. And as far as the culture, it's very beautiful. I love the temples. I love Buddhism in all forms. And I love, one thing I love is I love how the people get together and sing. I might not, I, it doesn't matter if I enjoy the music, but the ritual that they get together and they come together and they sing and they drink together. And I love the fact that they have the bird shows like how they revere the birds and by our house, there's, they're having bird auctions in a couple of days. You can just hear the birds singing. And I think, yeah, I think it's amazing as far as teaching the little kids here is awesome because they're just, they're ready to have fun and to learn. And so all in all, it's such an amazing experience. And I'm so grateful to the spirit of Vietnam for for blessing us with our existence here. It's just, it's amazing. Every day is a blessing for us. Massively. Yeah. So I think coming towards the end of the conversation, Sage, we've talked a bit about how great Vietnam is and your career in music. The theme of the show is comeback. So comeback from any challenges. What are some challenges? And I am aware this is quite broad, perhaps from your music or your expat life. What are some challenges that you faced and how have you navigated them? Oh, challenges. If you don't have a bank account before you come into Vietnam, <clears throat> you might want to get one. The banking system here is a bit, is difficult. We're going to fly into, we're going to fly into Ho Chi Minh city, just open a bank. That's combative. It's yeah, it's as far as challenges, that's life. And a challenge is an opportunity. So I welcome the combat and I think that like Bruce Lee said, be like water. Nice. You know? Yeah. Go with the flow, literally. Yeah, that's a great and quite powerful message. And final question, Sage, what would you like to achieve going forward? You're in a very good spot for it in Fanron. What would you like to achieve going forward with your teaching, with your music, with where you're living? What's next for you, would you say? Staying at peace, finding peace. I really enjoy being a positive influence in the community as far as teaching goes, knowing that we are having a positive effect on the minds of the youth here, the kids that we get to teach, focusing on that 
maintaining that at a high level. The music is, I'm not, um, I'm not trying to do anything big in Vietnam with music. I'm, I'm an artist. I've already done some big things and I'm just creating because <clears throat> that's the oath I took and this gift. And if I can inspire anybody here, I have one student who's been playing guitar for three years now, and he's practices every day. And I'm going to, as soon as I get a new guitar, I'm going to give him my electric guitar. And just thanks to, to inspire pe people to spread happiness and, and to live and to also have, keep my gratitude as my forefront of how I step in this life. And yeah, goals just for everybody to be happy and for us to make it through this time in this life right now Absolutely. together and strong. Great message. And where can we learn uh, more about what you do online or on social media? For example, your music. My SoundCloud is Sage Jared. And also there's, I have two SoundClouds, but the one that I'm posting right now that's in the latest experience of my life is SoundCloud.com, Sage Jared. And you'll know it's there because it's a dragonfly. A little wow. dragonfly picture will come up mm. and on that site, there's some really awesome pictures of me that we go riding and stuff like that. And so we take pictures of the area and you can check my music out there. That's about it. I'm not a big social media person. <clears throat> so excellent. I really appreciate your time, Connor. And well, Sage, man, I really enjoyed it. And thank you for coming on. I've appreciated the chat about a range of topics. All the very best. And when I come to Fanran, I'll say when, because I need to check this gem out. I will let both of you, and I'd love to hang out. All right. Sounds great.